Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to the 40th episode of Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Special thanks to the Blog Talk Radio team for featuring this show on their homepage all day today. Now, if you're tuning in for the very first time, you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, I will have a, a, a guest who will share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. If you have logged in as a guest and wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Bullock Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions of the guests. You also encourage following the show to post comments in the Genealogy and History Forum of Afrogenius.com. Well, tonight's topic is who's in the house. That's right, who's in the house. And the guest tonight is Char McCargo Baugh. Now, she's going to be discussing researching rumors and others who are documented in the household. Char McCargo Ba has been a genealogist since 1981, and she has appeared in numerous television interviews and documentaries and has researched genealogies of well-known individuals. She currently works as a part-time genealogist on African-American families in the city of Alexandria, Virginia. Char is a 2010 recipient of the Virginia Genealogical Society Volunteer Award and a 2009 recipient of the Alexandria History Award from the Alexandria Historical Society. Char has her own genealogy column, Char's Corner, in the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society newsletter. She is also pursuing her advanced studies in genealogy at the University of Toronto. So let me give a warm welcome to Char McCargo Ba to research at the National Archives and beyond. Char, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
Well, I am so happy to have you tonight. And I want to just start off by getting a little idea of how and why did you get involved in genealogical research? Well, um, I guess I got um, bitten by the bug of Alex Haley. I was in college at that time when Roots came out, and um, I purchased the book and um, before the movie came out, and it was like, you know, I didn't even think it was possible, and I realized I didn't even know beyond my father's um, parents. Um, and on my mother's side, I knew my uh, grandmother, but I didn't even, never asked about who their parents were. So um, from that point on, um, little genealogical societies were popping up all over in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was studying for finals when the um, when the D.C. Genealogical Society uh, were organizing, and they announced on the loudspeaker in the library that they were having a How to Find Your Roots. So I attended, and from then on I became a member. I was one of the um, original members and um, stayed with that organization for 22 years. Wow. So, so many people, it seems when you ask them they, what what triggered that interest, some of them may come right back to roots as being one of those triggering events for them. So, we're talking about who is in the house. So, what do you really mean? I mean, what, what are you talking about who is in the house? Well, one of the things um, in my many years of doing genealogy research is that, of course, many African Americans will one one time or another hit a brick wall. And uh, from um, my mentor, when I first started um, genealogy and joined the genealogical society, the older members took me under their wing and they taught me um, really what I call field work. And so basically, um, they you know, told me, you know, you want to make sure you know all your relatives. I interpreted that as doing collateral lines, and if anybody's in the house, in their house on the census, then trying to find out how they are related. And you can't always go by what the census taker put down. So I found many relatives and was able to really get back to um, the pre-Civil War period just identifying and doing collateral lines and identifying everybody in the household. And clues came out of that that led me back up, um, prior to the Civil War. So let's go back to what you mean by collateral lines. We may have some people on who are just kind of beginning genealogy. So could you just define what is a collateral line? Okay. When I say collateral line, I'm meaning that I'm not just tracing my mother or my grandmother. I'm tracing also their siblings and who their siblings married. And by doing that, I am um, eliminating many brick walls that I might find once I get beyond 1870. For instance, you might have some um, uh, women who did not marry, but let's say my answer, one of my ancestors did not marry, then if she didn't marry, she didn't create a marriage license. She did not um, buy property, so she doesn't have any land. How would I find out who her parents are if I did not know that, or nobody in the family knew that? I would trace her siblings. If one of her siblings got married, then they would mention maybe on their marriage license or their death certificate might include who their parents are. So mm-hmm. by, by by researching your collateral lines, which are the siblings and, and then working it out to uh, their children or whatever, it will eliminate some of the brick walls that you'll get to after you get after you go beyond 1870. Well, let's go back for a second. 
because you're talking about who's in the house. But are we facing or are we missing any unique research opportunities to determine who is in the house? Yes. Um, what happened is that, for instance, if you're researching your grandmother and you see um, her and her husband and and their children, and you see some people in the household that have a different surname, and they might be listed as a servant. And so you figure, oh, you're just interested in your grandmother, and you just go on. That mm-hmm. servant might be your grandmother's cousin's child. But because you did not research that person, you just, because you thought that person was not related, because you're looking at what the census said, how, what the relationship to the head of household being a servant, you just assumed you just hired somebody. Um, but in essence, they do not fall in what they consider the nuclear family. They, they are not a child or grandchild or a uh, sibling or whatever. So anything outside of that, they put them down like their servants or their um, their lodging in the house or their rumors, but they, in essence, could be a relative, a, a distant relative. And they might carry the surname of that slave owner if you're dealing with, like, the 1880s census. They could very well be carrying the surname of that slave owner where your family might have changed their surname. So that be a door can open for you. But if mm-hmm. you do not look at that who's in the house, then you might overlook and spend many, many years or come to a brick wall and can't go any further because you did not pay attention to all the details and who was in the house. Now, you you just said you may look at the the household of someone else and they may have a servant, but that person may be, suppose that person is living next door to you. That might be your relative. Is that what you're implying? No, they could be living in the household. I had a relative. Um, I knew his. Uh, I knew my great grandfather's uh, wife' maiden name was uh, Lipscomb. His last name was Scott. They were in the household, and but they had a servant in 1880 um, that that was living in the household with the last name Lipscomb, and I knew that. My great-grandmother's maiden name was Lipcomb, so I said, how can this be a servant? So I did further research, and it was her cousin's child. Mm-hmm. But it did not fit the definition, what the census taker said, as considered as a family member, which is your your children, your siblings, or your um, grandchildren. It fit, you know, as a, you know, cousin and People really only counted most likely like first cousins. I know my people always said like if they have a um, uh, ask, I said who is this person? They said oh that's my father's cousin, but they didn't say it was their cousin. Mm-hmm. So if the census taker come come uh, come around, they might say um, this person is lodging in my house because it doesn't fit definition of what the census taker is saying to them. That's right, that's right So the census taker may say Well, name your immediate family members Mother, father, and children Yes, and grandchildren But any of the other people They would have to be called something else Yes, and you have no clue Because you're thinking of 20th 20th century definitions And Mm -hmm. it gets you dealing with um, Early 20th century or late 19th century Definition of the census bureau That's right you see, so you're missing a whole lot. That's right. Well, why don't you give us some examples of people you found in the house, and and perhaps those examples can help the listeners. Okay. As they go through their own research journey. 1920 census. Um, I uh, 
found uh, was working on a wide family, and in the wide family household, it was a person with the last name of Maxfield, and and the census taker had listed that person as the aunt to the head of household, which was John Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Further research come to find out that was not John Wyatt's aunt. That was John Wyatt's uh, wife's aunt. Made a big difference because what happened is that um, I was told in certain periods of time, if it's your aunt and they living with you, your husband will call like aunt. So some of these things are, you know, not quite what we think they are. By mm-hmm. researching her, that um, not um, by researching her, she was a great aunt. Matter of fact, not just her aunt. It led me directly to the slave owner that owned his wife's uh, people. Mm-hmm. And I had overlooked that surname because it was Maxfield. Everybody else in the household, Wyatt, she was a Maxfield, M-C-P-H-A-I-L. I would have never been able to identify the slave owner because her maiden name was Irving, and she was not carrying the surname of the slave of a slave owner that owned them. Great example. Okay. Any others? Yes. <laughs> Next example. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Next example was uh, somebody living in the household as, as as a rumor. This was in the 1930 census, and come to find out, it was a child born out of wedlock. Interesting. Okay. And mm-hmm. and what happened is that I had to trace that child up until the um uh until the nineteen sixties when that child died and on that child's death certificate identified who their parents were and um which was the person they were living in the household in nineteen thirty and they were list- listed as a lodger. I mean a rumor. Mhm. So um so you know, everybody in the household deserved the same treatment you're giving the head of the household. Yes. So yes. you research each one of them and, 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 and have the documentation of how they fit in that household. Don't pay attention to what the census is saying because, like, they have certain guidelines, and they and they put people, they pigeonhole people in those particular categories that might not, um, the relationship that they had with this individual person would not have fit. It was like the head of household, and this is your child. Evidently, um, it was the, the, the maybe the husband was not there to give the information, so maybe it was the wife. And that person living in the household is not her child; it's her husband's child. Uh huh. So and and, they, and she would then just wouldn't say my child. Oh, she just and they said that you know the person is rooming here. Mm-hmm. And because it was the child was not really a child, it was like eighteen years old, you know. So you, right. you have to look at um, you 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 just keep your mind completely uh, free of any biases and just research everything. And then, of course, you know you got to do who's in the house next door to you, who's in the house <laughs> on the same page, because many relatives stayed with each other, especially when you're dealing with those periods of time in eighteen eighty and eighteen seventy, because. I have family members that um, have five uh, family members, and they used three different surnames when they came out of slavery. Mm-hmm. And and nobody was there to tell me the oral history. They didn't. Have, the oral history did not pass down to my generation. So therefore, when I how I was able to find out about this is that when I started researching in the neighbor's house, 
and I saw the given name, the pattern of the given name was exactly like my family that's living next door. Then what happened is that um, when when they died, they mentioned the same parents by the first name. And then when I was able to identify the slave parents, then I found out they all had the same parents. Mm-hmm. But somehow they were sold. I sold one of them. I found a gift that they were sold once the uh, uh, the their master was a female. She got married. Uh, what happened is that um, she took so many slaves, and her brother took so many slaves, and so they ended up with her husband's surname, which he did not own them because they were dowry slaves. And so what happened is they ended up with these multiple slave, uh, last names, and they ended up with the last name of Anderson, Rome. And then they had um, a last name, Williams. But when you looked at it, it was females who got married and took part of the slaves with them. Wow. Well, you should see the chat. Folks are saying in the chat, I need to go back. I need to go back and look <laughs> look for the rooms and the borders now. Yeah, I mean, so it's, you know, many people get stuck, and it's so many different um, reasons why, I mean, uh, cases where you have brick walls. But one of the brick walls is not uh, one of the major brick walls I find that most people are having. They're not paying attention to detail. Yes. People are concerned with I got to get to the next generation. I got to get to the next generation, and they like mm-hmm. saying I got seven generations. I have researched seven generations, but then they get stuck and they don't know what to do. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? They got to do a moonwalk all the way back <laughs> 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 and start back all over again and get those collateral lines, those those neighbors, and they got you know, and and they don't like hearing that because that is a lot of work. If you do it in the beginning. Believe me, you will eliminate a lot of your brick walls when you get to when you get beyond 1870. Well, you know, I'm listening to you, and I'm I'm ditto and what the folks are saying in the chat. I have to go back. I have seen rumors. Mm-hmm. I have seen lodgers. I have seen like a 11 year old in the household of someone, and I'm like, why is she in that house? Mm-hmm. And she was listed as a, a lodger. Now, another thing, too, is that you have, um, at the time of emancipation, one must realize a lot of children, their parents were might have been sold away or had died. And so some of them are living with what what they um, made up as families on a plantation. Mm-hmm. So even if that child is in there and doesn't have blood relationship with that person in the household, especially when you're looking at 1870, you see a child there, 1880, that she might still be in that household, but she's listed as <clears throat> something outside of being a family relative, she might have been with them. Her parents might have died. They were taking care of her on that plantation. So in order to find out who owned her, you're going to have to research the family, the family though she's not blood-related to them. Yes, yes, and so, then try to try to put together those, yeah, so put you the put, dots together. Yeah, put the dots together because what's going to happen is that um, she might mention her parents if she lived long enough to, uh, depending on what state you are in, Virginia has documentation for uh, vital statistics starting in 1853, but other states start later. If she lives into the 20th century, you might be able to get who if she knew her parent knew who her parents were, you might be able to get it on her death certificate. But what made her in that house? You have to ask yourself a question: Why is she in this house? 
mm-hmm. what is the relationship to this person in this house, and then then build from that, and do That's a re- right. and do a research plan. When you look, when you for every census, I, uh, uh, when I teach um, classes on census. You know, people say, oh, that's beginners. Oh, no, you're going to deal with the census throughout your research. You should develop a plan. You should mm-hmm. develop that, okay, you have to ask yourself questions. Why did why did they say this at this time when you find out they're saying something totally different 10 years later? Um, why um, this woman is calling herself Elizabeth and now is, she's Betty. Is she the same person? Is this a nickname or is this a different wife? You're constantly asking yourself questions at each census, and you're going to have to answer those questions. Yes. And the same people in the household, why do you have this child in the household or this individual in the household, they have a different name? Now, suppose, like, for instance, 1870, you have um, grown kids in the household, but they got different last names. That don't mean that they were owned by a different slave owner. They could have been married and became widows. And that's mm-hmm. why their name is different. But you have to solve that problem. You have to find out why. You have to ask yourself why. And many times, the uh, people you you know, if you're looking for the connection to prior to the Civil War, many times the answers are in the 1880 and 1870 census is that you overlook the details. Mhm. And that's just a really good point because it's so. I mean, you're so fixated with finding your line mm-hmm. that you are not paying attention, as you said, to the collateral line. No, and you're not paying attention to the environment and the area they're mm-hmm. living in. For instance, you see people in the household, and you got somebody says they are a a um, their occupation is a is um is a cook in someone's household, mm-hmm. and then you might have the husband who's a farm laborer. And um, then you might have uh, older sons who are farm laborers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Immediately, what do you think when you see that? Some people say, oh, they're just right there in the occupation and that's it. Oh, no. If they are, if his wife is a cook and, 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 and the husband is a farm laborer and you got some children, whose farm are they working on? Forget that most people didn't have transportation. They had to walk. Mm-hmm. So look for the whites, whites that are living near them. And chances are you're finding who, who finding finding who your people work for. That's right. And that's so right. that's those little details people overlook. You know, if if your people are um, sharecroppers or farm laborers, they're working for somebody. They don't have a horse, many of them, because you can tell by, you know, what their uh, finances are on the census. That means they have to get up and walk. And chances are, if their next door neighbor is white, that's probably who they're working for. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's in the 1870 census or 1880 census, how long had that relationship been between your ancestor and that white person they're working for? Was it a pre-Civil War relationship? Could that have been an owner? Mm-hmm. Constantly asking yourself questions over and over and over and over. Look at the naming pattern that that white uh, person they're working for, children uh, 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 is the same naming patterns he named his family. Is it the same naming patterns that you that that your uh, family and their household named? Especially if you look for those unusual names. Mhm, mhm. So now, what, are you implying that because the 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 naming patterns may be similar, that there may be a family relationship there, or what are you what are you saying? I'm saying that if they are working for them in 1870, 1880. 
how do you know they were not their their their, their um, uh, prior slave owners? Mm-hmm. Looking at the name pattern could give you a clue and say, well, maybe it might be a possibility. It's always a possibility until you can prove otherwise. Then, because right now, let's say you're in 1870 and you're stuck. You don't know where to go. How am we to find a slave owner? You're going to have to start working some hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you're going to sit there and say, okay, i got some white people around here, and they got uh, some of them might have the same surname as my people. Maybe they don't. But let's look at the given names. Is there any similarity to the given name? It's he. Uh, they are living next to each other, and he's and my folks are farm laborers. Maybe that he, they are they're working for this person. How long have they been knowing each other? Mhm, mhm. I mean, there's there's just so many questions to to ask mm-hmm. to to help formulate that 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 hypothesis and where do you go? But one thing for sure is not cut and dry. No, it's not. It's it's so many possibilities in um in um looking at it. But I tell you, when your ancestors want you to find them, they're going to lead you to the right place. That's right. And 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 you know you could be working it and working and don't know what to do. But if you stay with it, and you work out each and you keep constantly always asking questions, always answering the questions that you ask, finding documentation for it, they will lead you to where they are. That's right, and with that, we're going to take a break. Let folks give a little thought to that last statement. They will lead you, and we'll come right back. Quick break, okay? Thank you. Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you have been listening to Char McCargo Bar. Now, Char has just left us with a statement. When your ancestors are ready for you to find information, they will lead you. And so, Char, how successful has this method been? Looking at the collateral, asking questions, analyzing what's going on. Why don't you share more with us? Okay, um, I'm working on a cemetery project in Alexandra, and it is a Civil War cemetery that was from 1863 to about 1868, and it buried over 1,800 people there, and they were all blacks who were refugees or free blacks that were um, in Alexandria when Alexandria was under the Union during the Civil War. So my, I was retained by the city to actually find descendants, and I used my method of who's in the house and who's in the neighbor's house, and it takes me no more than two 
days for each person that I have lo- descendant I have located to get them back to uh, 1860 by using that method. Wow. Okay, everybody. Fact, you hear that? Because <laughs> what happened once I get it, I worked the census. Then uh-huh. I pay attention to the surnames in, in the household. And usually if I cannot find whether they were in Alexandria during the Civil War, one of those people in the household will lead me to to to, to the documentation I need. Paying attention to detail is so important. Paying attention to everybody in the household is so important because what happens is that if your ancestor didn't leave documents, somebody in that household left some documents. And um and it's so important. And people, uh, I you know I hear their frustrations and, and when I'm when I'm giving uh, lectures and that they're stuck and um and they can't find this. But when I talk to them, talk to most people, they have been doing generation hopping. What I call they hop from one generation, next generation, next generation. And when you actually look at what they have done, it's no substance there. And you mm-hmm. start saying, where's your documents? Or some people inherit uh, research from their family and they think it's done. And or they want to start from where they left off, but if you inherit anything, you got to check it out and make sure all the documentation is done. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, that I run into is basically because they did not look at the details. It's little details that help, you know. Um, I see that George Jeter is on uh, is one of the guests, and um, I had an opportunity to look at one of his family members, and it was that special little detail. He had a um, a, a ancestor that um, was in the Civil War. It was his uniform. Trying to figure out what um, when I worked on uh, work with uh, history detectives on his family, actually taking the picture they gave us, trying to identify two black people in that picture, honing in on the details of the uniform and then actually using the census work and the family stuff and being able to identify, and it ended up being George Jeter's um, uh, ancestor. So it's detail. You can't, I cannot even stress the detail. You know, I tell people, you know, you've got to look at the detail. You've got to pay attention. Otherwise, Hey, you're going to be moving backwards. You don't have to go all the way back and start it all over again. Mhm. And that's such a good point. And you just—I mean, you—you—you you, drop in such gems when you when you say stuff. But generation hopping. I mean, that is what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, you know, in the beginning, you know, and maybe I also was in, into that, and because um, I did not know beyond my grandparents. My father had died when um, I was about, um, um, he died when I was 21 years old. So I only knew him talking about his mother. I didn't even even ask who his, um, you know, father was because his father died in 1950, and I never knew my grandfather, and my grandmother remarried. So the grandfather I knew was my um, step-grandfather. And Mm -hmm. so what happened is that I was, when I got bit by the genie bug, I mean, I was, I was researching everything. If a, I always tell people if a cockroach bypassed me, I had to research that too. <laughs> and so I was just researching everything. I, I, I have an obsession even to this day after, you know, 31 years, I have an obsession with genealogy. Mm-hmm. And so I I did not know about collateral lines. I just researched everybody because I did not know. I wanted to know about my aunt. Who did she marry? I wanted to know about who her son married. And I was just researching everything, which ended up making me have, 
you know, over 100 and something boxes worth of genealogical research. But I knew that family. And Alexandra, mm-hmm. I know I know that family. Somebody give me a surname, I can tell you about that family. And because I look for the detail, where did they live, who was living next door to them, chances are it was a relative. Might not have the same surname, but they were relatives, you know. Some people knew who their half-siblings were. And but they didn't have the same surname, but they lived near each other. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, um, you know, it's a lot of stuff out there. And um, and like I said, many of people brick walls can be solved if they take time and look for the details. Um, just go back and just look at okay, why was this person here? And and if this person is related, why do they have a different surname? Is this um, my grandmother's sister's child, or is this mm-hmm. grandmother's sister's daughter's child? You know, because what possibility there'll be for them to have different surnames? Usually, if they got a different surname, it's not they were on different plantations. It means that a female probably married. So mm-hmm. you started working out those possibilities, and it's like a puzzle. Genealogy is nothing but a puzzle that you're trying to solve. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, have you encountered any surprises in your own research or research for others? Um, Many surprises. Um, um, Most people who know me know that um, I was hired uh, back in 2006, I think, by a German Afro-German. He was a German, and he was uh, Germany. He lived in Germany. His father was a World War II um, veteran, and um, his father's name was James Clark. And he um, saw my name on the internet that I, that I do genealogical research, and he contacted me. I didn't want to take him, but I always doing genealogy. You know, you get used to the spirits talking to you. You might, you know, people might think you're kind of twisted, but they do if you allow them to talk to you. So mm-hmm. something bothered me, and too many coincidences about him, and I decided to take him. Unknown to me, I did not know. Unknown to him, he was my great uncle's uh, child. He left behind. Wow. And that blew me. That was my first. Um, that was really wild. And um, so anyway, so that was an unexpected one. And then looking for um, letting authorities tell you something that's not true. Everything somebody tell you, regardless who's telling it to you, check it out. I had um, a great uncle. I had his death certificate. It was told me where he was buried. And I contacted the, the uh, cemetery, and they said, that they did not have a headstone. He was a he was a uh, veteran. I said, well, my family. I know my family. If they can get anything free, they'll get it. And he has a headstone because <laughs> they would not have to pay for that headstone because he was a veteran. They said, oh no, we we don't have him listed. We got it in our computer. So I had the undertaker go out there to the cemetery, and he said he didn't find it. So when me, my husband, my cousin went down there, I told it um, the um, funeral director, I'm not satisfied with his answer, he said, well, you're the type of person seem like you have to look for yourself. I said, yes. So he met us at the cemetery. We divided the cemetery up into four, each one of us taken, and it was I who found him, and he had a headstone. But if I had believed the man on the phone, I, you know, when he told me, I would have said, okay, he should know because he's the funeral director, and they're and they and they the ones who took care of the funeral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, really, and everything, don't care what anyone says, go for the documentation. If the documentation is not there, then at least you try. You can at least have it on your research 
plan that you looked at this and you could not find documentation. But don't take anybody's word for it because you'd be surprised. Like for instance, my um, my great uh, my uh, great grandfather was buried next to his daughter, which was my grandmother. He didn't have a headstone. They said they told me my family told me he didn't have a headstone. So what would you do if you, somebody said you don't have a headstone and you look for their grave? Uh-huh. The yeah. answer would be look for his daughter, see whether she has a headstone. You find her, you know he's buried beside her. So oh, you could assume that perhaps he's buried beside her. I was told that he was buried beside her. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. so she was buried beside her father. So therefore, if I went there and I found her headstone, and okay. it was a grave. It was a grave beside hers, and um, and this was a, a church, and so only church members would be buried there. And so, um, so you know, you listen. You know, one of the things that I always had a problem with is my listening skills. Like I try to listen more, and believe me, when you do, you catch those little clues. When they said he didn't have a headstone, I could say, "Oh my God, I will. I won't be able to, you know, really identify." But when they said he was buried next to his daughter, mm-hmm. the light went off in my head. <laughs> so I went right, to right. Daughters. And then I got her. And then once I found the headstone, I also went on and got the death certificate for that. And then I was able to get his death certificate. Yeah. But you're right as far as uh, homing in on your listening skills because many people may say, oh, no one ever shared anything with me. I don't know anything about my family. And come to to think of it, they may know something because it was said. And it's just a matter of kind of sitting down there and saying, well, what was I told or what did I hear? And as you said, the listening skill with you came in because you heard he was buried next to, next to his daughter. Mm-hmm. And another thing of interest that um, I would like to tell the audience is this: paying attention to who in the household, paying attention to who is um, the, the neighbors and their household. If you grew up and you know you, and you had nobody tell you any oral history, by you working the census, you know who the neighbors were. Mm-hmm. In rural areas, those neighbors probably, uh, um, those families stayed there. So they might have an elderly person still living that knew your relatives or knew your relative's family. That's right. And you can go and interview them. So when people tell me, oh, I had no oral history, nobody tell me, I say, wait a minute, let's go back, honey. Have you did your census research? I mean, really did your census research? Mm-hmm. And And I said, do you know who the neighbors were? And they said, well, I didn't pay attention. We'll go back and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Then find out whether anybody with those surnames are living in that neighborhood where your people came out of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then contact them and see whether they are willing to tell you about your family. Right. And and it's amazing because they may know as much about your family as your family. Yes. And, and many, you know, in the South, you know, it, some people, a lot, a lot of people always have secrets and skeletons. Yes. So what happened is that you find you have to really, when you get ready to talk to people, you have to do research on them. You find out what they like. I have gotten a lot of information out of people, older people, by bringing them some candy because they got a sweet. <laughs> I have gotten information out of people by talking to their minister and asking the minister, could he talk to this person because I would like to interview. And when the minister say it's okay, it is, it is okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, you have to find you have to find that technique 
to be able to get uh, um, information. I have relatives that really live in the South that they don't go out to dinner because it's too expensive. They don't fix income. Take them to dinner and they got diarrhea of the mouth. I mean, <laughs> just like, you know, just have to know how to work the people. And um, genealogy allow um, you, you you at your best if you're a people person and you're doing genealogy because you'll know how to appeal to the people. That's right. That's right. And that's, that's really a a, a good point to to make as far as understanding who you're getting ready to communicate with. Yeah. And uh, now, do you recommend that people uh, actually go to the minister? Is that what you're saying? Go to the church or find yeah. someone else who could serve as the the person to introduce them? Yes, um, I'm in a different religion. So uh, what happened is that it will always like. Um, should I risk, you know, um, going and asking a minister? Usually I get an uh, invitation to come to church on Sunday. But um, in my case, I'm, like I said, I'm a diehard um, genealogist and very passionate about it. I have gone to church and sat on the front pew, so it's not my thing. But if it mm-hmm. means that I can get my information, I'm going to sit on the front pew. And mm-hmm. um, and really, when you do your research and you do your neighborhood, I mean, do your um, who's in the house, you also want to be able to identify what religion they in and what church they connect, mm-hmm. because that is another who's in the house. It's who's in the church, mm-hmm. <laughs> and these church families been generation after generation, and 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 um, you know, people going to the same church, and so what happened is that uh, I have a lecture that cemeteries tells no lies. You walk into a cemetery, you will know whether that's your family cemetery or not because it just reaps of the surnames of your people. Yeah. And so what happened is that you go to these churches and, you know, and you'll know somebody would know your family. They might have uh, gone to school with, um, you know, with your relatives with that surname, and they knew that they their mother's so-and-so and this and this and that. And, um, you know, in-laws in the household, when you're looking at who's in the house, in-laws in the household, in-laws love talking about their, 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 their in-laws. You want to know in the church, you go to the in-laws. You don't ask that person. You go to the in-laws. They'll tell you everything you need to know, but they won't tell you anything about themselves. <laughs> so it's well, Okay, well, what about those family secrets now? I mean, the in-laws will tell you anything you want to know, but what about just the family secrets? I mean, how do you deal with that? Well, secrets uh, are not really secrets. Um, have you ever known a secret that that someone never told told it to someone? They're gonna tell it to somebody. Mhm. And then that person got their friend. They're gonna tell it to somebody. And mm-hmm. chances are gonna be you know maybe kind of mixed up and you know gonna be something thrown in there. But some of the root of that secret you're gonna be able to know. Somebody I remember interviewing. They knew that this person had disappeared for the summer. And then um, they came back to school, and then, like, after somewhere midsummer, their mother ended up adopting a child. Where the rumor was, they, everybody believed it was her child. She went away for the summer. Mm-hmm. And she thought it was a secret. She she left um, rural Virginia and went to New York, and they mm-hmm. believed that she had the child. And they waited appropriate time for that child, for the mother to go up there, the, the mother of the, chi- of the daughter who went to New York. She went up there and acted like she adopted somebody, but she was just bringing home her grandchild. People mm-hmm. remember that. People who went to school with that uh, with with that with that uh, child remember that she disappeared. And so what happened is that maybe it was a secret that the family never talked about, but other people, you know, knew somehow. 
Well, I'm going to just see if others have anything to say about this. So if you would like to call in, please call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. If you have any comments you'd like to make on who's in the house, and certainly what about those family secrets? As you say, no secret is a secret. Someone knows something. That is very interesting. What else can you tell us about what we might want to expect, what we want to look for with who's in the house? Um, Also, when you're looking at who's in the house, you want to look at all of the information that comes with that person in the house. For instance, you might see someone in the house that they might have as – with a, with a disability and sometimes a senility, which we know today it could be it could be anything from dementia to Alzheimer's. That right there, who's in the house, might not have your surname, but could be related, who have this type of illness, could also forewarn you if you're blood related that this that this illness might run into the family. Forewarn you if you're blood related. I'm sorry, we had, uh, I did open up the line for 215, and I'm going to open it up again, 215, if you have a question. But this time, put the volume down on your uh, computer so that we don't get an echo. I'm sorry, I uh, interrupted you, Char. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the census tells you a lot of things, and sometimes we tend to look at, you know, we look at people in the household, but we don't actually do an analysis of every all the information that comes with that individual on the census. Whether that person has an illness, it would show the senility or something. That um, the person's um, age. Sometimes you'll see uh, two people with the same age. Is this a twin? The twins run in my family, or mm-hmm. whether they did not know their age and so they gave the same age. Um, you'll see whether um, it's a mulatto, and then all the children are black, and maybe the, w- uh, the wife is black. But in order to be a mulatto to the census taker who probably is white, I mean that person probably had to be very fair. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. and so um, does that mean something? Does that mean that he had had a white ancestor? Could he have a white father? Or you know, so you want to pay attention and you want to write a narrative of each of the, each census with your people in it, so you can hone in on these details and follow up on them and answer these questions that you might have of these individual people. That's right. Well, we do have a question, and it's area code two one. Five, do you have a question or a comment of the guest? You're alive on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Yes. Hi, my name is Michelle Todd, and I just want to i have a comment. Shar uh, has been my mentor for years. She taught me everything about genealogy. She is so well-versed, and I just want to thank her. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Okay. Bye bye. Thank you so much for calling in. Which well, Shar, you just mentioned writing a narrative about everyone who's in the census. Now, just go over that again. What would you recommend each person do? Because we know we have individuals on each line. How would you recommend they write this narrative? Okay, um, I'm presently working on another project naming um, um, a recreation 
uh, rooms after prominent Alexandrians, uh, black and, uh, people in Alexandria that made a difference. And mm-hmm. so when I joined that group, they were writing narratives, but they had no um, structure to to the to the writing. I don't profess to know everything, but anything I get involved in, I tend to study it to death. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. If you really want to know how to write a narrative, look at an obituary in the Washington Post newspaper or a major newspaper. It always tells you that person's accomplishments up front, mm-hmm. and then it leads into the family stuff at the end. So if I'm doing the census, I'm seeing that um, my my grandfather, he um, his um, he, his property is valued at one thousand, and let's say if his property is valued at one thousand in, in 1920, he must be a little affluent because property mm-hmm. was very cheap back then. It was maybe you know two or three dollars an acre if you live mm-hmm. in a rural area. So mm-hmm. that tells me one thing that he might be. So my narrative would be um, Claiborne Scott is assumed to be um, affluent. He he owned one thousand acres in the 1920 census. You know, mm-hmm. and then I get into his wife was such and such. She was. On the 1920 census, born in such and such a year, and they had several kids. Three of their kids were in school, and and he was literate, you know. So that's I'm building a picture. Genealogy should be able to tell a story. It should not be, you know, hopping from generation, you know, just you know naming just names. What did these these people had lives? What did they do? Who did they live near? Who was in their household? You need to tell the story. Stories. Stick with people. Stories stick with relatives when you try to explain who their relatives are. Telling them that I have traced seven generations. So what? What do these people do? Where yeah. do they live? What was their occupation? Who were they married to? When did they die? Tell the story. The narrative tells the story. And if you mm-hmm. plan on writing writing about it or doing a book later on, if you have these narratives written, you basically almost have your book. You're right, you're right, and that's definitely a, a, a wonderful recommendation. So uh, what do you suggest to the listeners about checking for people in their house? I would say, well, since the 1940 census is out uh, and, you know, it's not all indexed yet, if they want to wait to its index, start with the 1930 census, go back and start looking at your relatives and seeing who is in their house. See whether you you have you know each individual and how they are related to your people. If you see a name you not you, you, you that you're not familiar with and he's a laundry, look at him differently or look at her differently. Maybe they are not just rumors. Maybe they are relatives that do not fall into that definition that the census taker. Look Follow them out. Did they get married? Get their marriage license. The marriage license doesn't give the information who their parents are. Follow them out till they die. See what their death certificate says. Do the death certificate mention parents' names on it that you can identify with your people? Mm-hmm. So, you know, research them out. Just Research them just like you would research your own people and be able to identify their relationship to your people in the household. And and there's no doubt that many folks will find very, very interesting relationships in that 1940 census. Yes. The 1940 census shows a lot of movement. Yes. And it would be interesting if your people are living in a different location in 1920 and 1930. Let's say you're tracing your people, you're tracing from 1870 
to 1880, 1900, and then the older ones die off, and then their children are there, and they stay. But you did see along the way you saw some surnames that didn't connect to your people. You thought they were just rooming or whatever. And then all of a sudden your people leave South Carolina and they go to New York. And Mm -hmm. you don't know what drew them to New York. And then you find that person that was in the household listed as a servant, your people migrated and end up living with that person. That's right. That's right. So what and was going on there what with was that going movement? On, yeah, what was going on? How? What is that connection is all about? It's not mm-hmm. just what the census said. You know, because some people, um, my my situation and what I have experienced, black folks in the early 20th century and the late 19th century, they didn't migrate unless they had somebody in place where they were going. That's right. It was very few uh, black hotels with segregation was at its at its peak, so chances are if they were going to be a live-in maid, they would in, you know have a place to live. But chances are they had somebody they knew or somebody they were related to that was living up north, and they were going there, and that's how they um, moved in. My parents had many rumors, and um, and when they because they left southern part of Virginia and came to. Um, the Washington D.C. area, and so it was. We had rumors the whole time we were growing up. People coming from my parents' hometown, mm-hmm. and so um, and and not until I, not until probably the last five years, I found out some of them people were related, but they were not considered the census takers identification of related. Like one person that lived with us, we called him Mr. Leonard. Come to find out that Mr. Leonard's mother uh, had a child with my great uncle. Uh-huh. But the Mr. Leonard is not blood related, but his brother, his half brother, is. Right. So, so it, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes, it does make a lot of sense to look at the migratory pattern, but also to look at well, who's living with them. Yeah. So and when he, you know, go ahead. Uh, when he's listed on his in the census, if he was living with us, and he's listed on his census in the 1960s, because that's when the time he was living there, he would be listed as a rumor. But he's more than a rumor to us because his brother is. My great uncle's child, and this is something that you found out later on. You didn't, you didn't I know at the time. I found out in the last five or six years because I never met his brother, the one who was related to me, until five years later, and he explained the whole thing. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so that's it, the thing about it. That's it. That's it. So, so many, so many people who are the listeners. I mean, one of the things we're talking about is going back. I mean, going back and looking at who's in the house and the value of examining every single person in that house, even if they do not have the traditionally named relationships, mother, father, son, daughter, mother-in-law. Rumors and lodgers and boarders may also be relatives. Yes. So in closing... What advice would you give, I mean, I'm just saying right now, to anyone who's just beginning his or her genealogical research or for those who've been doing it for a long time, what it, what's your final advice to them? Well, for the beginners who's just starting, they're they in a better place than the ones who've been doing it because what happened is that they'll start it off right. <laughs> okay. And the ones who've been doing it, they have the the, the pain of going back. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> so, and that's one of the things, and that's one of the things that you know most people don't want to go back. They're just looking at pushing forward, and it is a lot of work. I'm not saying it's not. It's a lot of work because you're going to have to do the same genealogical research you did on your folks. You're going to have to do it on that person that you at first identified not being related. That's right, and as you said, you might just have to do the moonwalk. (laughs) You might just have to take those steps back. Well, I'm going to just offer the opportunity to anyone who would like to call in, 646-200-0491, and press 1 to speak to the guests. And if we don't have anyone, we're going to close out on this uh, discussion tonight. And I just want to thank you so much, Char. Oh, you welcome. have really uh, stimulated discussion. We have people who are saying, oh, my goodness, I have to go back now. But it's so needed. And the message just came across very loud and clear what the marching orders are for all of us tonight who are engaged in genealogical research. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Well, well, I just want to tell people about what's coming up next week. The guest for next week's show is Lisa B. Lee, and Lisa is going to be talking about becoming a professional genealogist. Now, do you know what it takes to become a professional genealogist? Well, Lisa is the owner of GotGenealogy.com, a website designed to help genealogists make the most of their online searches. She speaks and she conducts workshops at genealogical societies and conferences in the U.S. and Canada. And she has just this wonderful animated style and infinite knowledge of everything on the Internet, wit and perverted humor to ensure that attendees attendees will not only learn a lot, but will have fun doing so. So I hope that you all will join me next week to hear Lisa B. Lee. Well, this is the end of our show tonight. And I want to thank all of you, and especially Char, for joining me tonight and providing the listeners with just valuable information on how to determine who's in the house and why you should do it. Good night, and thank you so much, Char McCargo Ba. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on AfroGenius.com and the Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and then Uh, Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.